Welcome to episode two of Lil Muck, a tiny slice of the Muck podcast where we talk to people in the media about their favorite political true crime story. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, tell us about today's guests. We are joined today by our guest, Dan Christensen. Dan is an investigative journalist in South Florida. He previously worked for the Miami Herald and the Daily Business Review. In 2009, Dan founded Florida Bulldog, originally called Broward Bulldog, a blog to, quote, keep watchdog journalism alive by paying attention to and publishing important stories and otherwise that otherwise go uncovered because of shifting priorities and lack of resources in the region's conventional media outlets. I totally stole that from your website. <laughs> Welcome, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Dan, after working for Miami Herald, you started the Florida Bulldog. Why did you start that? Well, I started it, uh, number one, because I wanted to continue to work in journalism. Um, I, you know, It's been my career. I love being a reporter. And uh, I also think that um, it's important that, you know, now in a time as newspapers and other media are sort of melting down uh, and uh, whatever I wrote 10 years ago is a lot worse situation now. Uh, And uh, I just thought it was important for the community to do this. So what I've been trying to do is, uh, is build up the Florida Bulldog a little bit, get it known. And, um, you know, we rely on our uh, readers for support because we are 501c3. Uh, uh, um, I hate to use the words, but we're a charity case. And, <laughs> uh, you know, that's how we, we go. We, we have minimal advertising on the site, and the advertising that you see is not really, uh, uh, not really anything that we sell. It's sold by Google Ads, so we get very little money from that. And we are, you know, almost entirely supported by uh, our, our uh, readers. Wow. So I love the idea of the, the watchdog. And how well do you think the South Florida press in general works as a watchdog for our public officials? Well, it works a lot less than it used to, that's for sure. Um, you know, I've been doing this. I've been a reporter since here since the early 80s. I began with a paper called the Fort Lauderdale News, which uh, was the dominant uh, evening paper in in Fort Lauderdale back then, and it uh, it uh, eventually was sort of subsumed by the Sun Sentinel, and uh, the Sun Sentinel became the dominant paper, and the Fort Lauderdale News was uh, phased out. Back then, both the Miami Herald and the and the Sun Sentinel and the Palm Beach Post as well um, had extremely um, you know vibrant competition, and uh, we were always each one of the papers was always breaking a story uh, about, you know, something or other. And, uh, but that really just happens rarely these days. And, um, and I'm afraid it's going to get worse as the year goes on because the uh, COVID situation has made, uh, number one, it's eating up a lot of uh, time that would normally be spent perhaps looking at other areas. And it's also eating up advertising at a extremely disturbing rate. So uh, both the papers, I mean, the Herald's uh, uh, ownership, uh, which is the McClatchy company, they're currently in bankruptcy. It looks like uh, the company will probably be, the newspapers involved will be split off and sold sold to different entities. The Sun Sentinel is, uh, is in a bad situation as well. Um, they're, they are, uh, they're owned by the Tribune company, as they have been, but the Tribune Company is 
apparently appears poised to be taken over by a hedge fund, which is not a good thing. And they've already lost quite a few people there, uh, you know. And uh, and it, on top of all that, basically the two newsrooms are shut down right now. And every all the reporters and editors, they're all operating out of their homes, um, as I understand it, certainly at the Sun Sentinel, and I believe at the Herald, too. So it's, uh, it's just at the very trying time. And I have a lot of friends in this business. And I can assure you, though, that they are out there working as hard as they ever have, uh, perhaps even a, even harder, uh, to try and get the news and bring it to, uh, to everybody here in town. So before we get to one of your stories, I, just listening to what you're, what you're saying, do you feel um, freer now that you have the blog and you don't have like a corporation you know, standing over you or telling you like what you have to do? I can do uh, yes. Uh, that the, the one advantage to, uh, uh, to, to to operating a not-for-profit news site. I mean, I have a board of directors that I answer to, but in terms of uh, of covering the stories that I think need to be covered in town, I can do what I want. I can assign stories as I want. I also have the folks that work for us. Um, on a freelance basis because I'm the only actual employee of Broward Bulldog Inc., which is also known as uh, the Florida Bulldog. Um, it, you know, I have the ability to do what I want. I can assign stuff and I hear stuff coming in from all the professional reporters that do work for us. So it's like, from my vantage point, uh, it's, it's sort of an ideal situation. And um, we can tell our, you know, the readers out there, uh, we, we disclose, by the way, everybody that gives us money. Um, you, know, you can see the names of everybody down to whoever gives us a buck. They're all the names are on the site. We update them, you know, have different files for each year. So you can look in there and you can see, um, you know, because sometimes we get money, you know, from occasionally from a lobbyist. Usually it's mostly regular people. Um, but we do get, you know, uh, there are certain people like lobbyists and stuff that will give us money from time to time. And um, they don't try and influence. I will tell you that um, I've had stories pitched stuff. I thought was a story. I do it. Other stuff that wasn't a story and I didn't do it, but I will tell you that our biggest supporter um, who, who really deserves a lot of the credit uh, for my ability to do this along with my wife who has put up with me Uh <laughs> is a guy named Michael Connolly, and that name be, may be familiar to some, uh, especially those that um, uh, uh, read uh, crime novels and also anybody that uh, watches on Amazon the show Bosch uh, because Mike, Michael Connolly, um, is a longtime author. He's on the New York Times bestseller list once or twice a year, every year, year in and year out. His books are extremely popular, and he's currently um, executive producing the show Bosch, which is on Amazon. It's a, it's a, based on his character Harry Bosch, and it's uh, it really it really is an excellent show. Uh, very very good uh, police procedural. So, oh, I love those! So I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, it's def- definitely worth it, and you'll end up doing what I do, which is which is can be a pain in the ass when you got a lot of work to do with. <laughs> binge on Harry yeah. Potter. You know? <laughs> when I look at your um all of the cases, there's like this I don't know, the sense of justice, like I don't know, like a Superman. No, 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 no. I'm just hey look, 
Look, where you know all of the reporters in South Florida. You know, I mean, I the only difference about me is I've been long, I've been around you know longer than most of the rest of them. <laughs> Uh, but you know, we all do it. Uh, you know, a lot of people get into this business for a very simple reason because they, you know, now you don't get into it because you want to make money. That's for sure. And that wasn't true years ago, but it's definitely not true now, but you get in it because you like, um, you know, what it is we do and you recognize the importance to the community that, you know, the, the people out there need to know what's happening, what yes. their public officials are doing. And that's what motivates me, I think. And I'm sure that's what motivates 99% of the rest of the reporters and the editors that are out there. Because, by the way, um, even my, even the stuff that I write, I have an editor who reads me over and, uh, you know, calls me to task if I've, you know, made an error or, you know, misspelling or whatever. So no, none of the stuff that appears on our site is there uh, just popping up out of the blue it's all edited and uh and at least two sets of eyes have been on it so you have a lot of cases that stand out and are really important but one of your cases was in 2007 you reported about the broward sheriff at the time ken jenny um, who had some questionable private dealings uh, private business dealings that prom- uh, prompted a federal investigation and he ended up pleading guilty and going to prison can you tell us a little, little bit about this case um, yeah, if I can dredge it up out of my memory here, uh, <laughs> Ken, Ken was a guy who's, um, you know, he's been around, uh, Broward County for years. He was a county commissioner, uh, back in the late seventies. He was a state senator for many years, but the story goes that he was, it was always his sort of ambition to be a, uh, sheriff. And there were, there were other stories that beyond that, he wanted after to be sheriff, he wanted to go on to even be the governor. Um, but sheriff was the one thing that he always sort of professed that he loved. And he got in, uh, and um, the first problem really was, and most of the, you know, I wrote something about this, but the Miami Herald uh, sort of led the way on the stories about what was called power tracks. Hmm. Um, and that was a... Uh, an internal management uh, tool that was used by the department to try and track cases, what were happening to them, what kinds of cases were they, and uh, um, that sort of thing. And okay. the pro- problem with power track was that it led to um, falsification of crime statistics by cops that felt under pressure and their, you know, uh. their superiors who also felt under pressure to, to produce uh, results. Anyway, after that, um, uh, you know, th- as that was beginning to wind down around 2004, 2005, I think it was, um, I got wind of the fact that the sheriff was moonlighting. He had um, a uh, security-related uh, uh, consulting firm, and um that was news, and it was also news that he was going into business with a couple of his top aides, um, folks that had recently uh, retired or, or perhaps been pushed out because mm. they were heavily involved in the power track scandal. Um, so, yeah, the uh, I mean, we detailed a lot at the time. I worked for a paper called the Daily Business Review here in town, and uh, 
wrote uh, a number of stories about how the sh- you know detailing what the sheriff's business arrangements were back then and questions about them ethical questions that were being you know being raised at the time now um you know that story i know led to um as i was told about it when the, the, the folks at the sheriff the subsequent sheriff al lamberti came in and uh, they basically said hey look you know you're the one that started all this so very fine um but uh it, it, there was a lot of information there that led to this investigation by the FBI, which went, frankly, in in in, in similar but different directions. Because um, Jenny ended up being guilty, as I recall, to mail fraud, and there was something else. And um, those weren't directly related to the stuff that I had written about, but they sort of arose as a result of the inquiry that began um, because of the uh, the story about how the sheriff was moonlighting. Because at the time, that story was a big shock. Nobody knew anything about this. Right. And um, it, um, you know, it just it just sort of took off, let's put it that way. And and what what is it like to know that your work really ends up leading, having a, a bit of a hand in his arrest? Like when, when it sort of everything kind of fell out from it, what were, how did you feel personally about that? Well, you know, you have, at least for me, I have mixed feelings. I uh, personally, I like Ken Jennings. Um, mm. I, you know, and uh, um, I was, I was saddened too um, when he got arrested because I did a number of stories back then uh, about his financial situation too, and it became apparent to me that um, you know Ken had long been a public servant. Uh, he knew the difference between right and wrong, mm. and I think. What happened here was, because when you looked in his financial disclosure forms, you could see that his 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 net worth uh, kept going down and down and down and down and down while he was a public official. Hmm. And I think that's probably because he focused almost exclusively on his job to the detriment of his personal finances. And then at some point, the light bulb went off and he tried to catch up. Um all at once, uh, and that's what led to his trouble. At least that's my personal feeling about it. Um, so I was saddened to see that this happened to him, um, but I also thought that the stories were necessary and important. Yeah. And then, of course, later on, we find out that he has a good friend in our current senator, Rick Scott, which led to other problems, right? <laughs> With, you know, <laughs> it was like it Yeah, never... well, it's funny. That that's a very funny angle to that whole story because the very first story that I wrote, um, I believe the headline was the sheriff moonlights, and then it was all about the companies he worked for and stuff. And one of the companies that he worked for that I I remember including in that story was uh, 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 Jenny's work uh, being on the board of directors of a company called CyberGuard, mm-hmm. which was based then in Deerfield <laughs> Beach, and. Um, it was interesting, and uh, because I, I, you know, I, I wrote all this stuff about it, and I looked at the people involved, and one of the people involved was a guy by the name of Richard L. Scott, mm. and Richard L. Scott was then known because he had been the, uh, um, oh God, I guess he was the CEO of, um, I'm blanking at the moment on the, the name Columbia, of the uh, Columbia HCA, yeah, Columbia HCA, HCA. yeah, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he, that Columbia HCA, um, um, there was huge fraud there. And, 
Scott had uh, had managed to get out of that um, with you know, not only without getting personally in trouble, even though he was at the helm of the company that was committing, you know, I don't know, a billion dollars worth of Medicare fraud or uh, whatever it's, it was. It's unbelievable. And yeah, and he, he not only did he get away unscathed, he, he got a golden parachute of, you know, yeah. millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, and a anyway, Senate seat now. <laughs> well, yeah, but see, that at the time, he was just Richard L. Scott, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that, And I but I included it in the story. And it's funny because um, I ended up, um, I guess he got elected first, what, 2012, was it? Uh, I think that's right. Or 10, something like that, whatever it was. Um, later on, I ended up writing a related story um, for, for the Florida Bulldog about um, somebody, it, it, this was Ken Jenny's general counsel. When he, you know, when he did his crime, um, she had been appointed to the board of Broward Health, which is the, uh, right, that's right. you know, the Broward Hospital System here. And I remember seeing that and seeing it triggered something in me. It triggered. Um, it's like, wait a minute. She was part of Ken Jenny's thing. She had gotten. I remember she had gotten immunity to testify, but she didn't disclose that to the governor's office. So I. You know, I called him up and I said, hey, what's going on? A couple of days later, she quit. And then I, you know, I kept asking the governor's office, which was Rick Scott then, uh, about, you know, what happened? Why did she, why did the background check not catch this? You know, uh, and it, 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 the light bulb's going off. That, <laughs> And I went back and I dug out that old story about Ken Jenny and I reread it and I got to the point where it said, that he was working with Richard L. Scott, and it, it, it clicked. This is the same guy. He uh, wasn't the governor. That was, he was kind of a nobody here in Florida, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's incredible. It, yeah, it was weird. So I ended up writing a story um, for the Bulldog about, you know, the uh, the relationship here, which indicated to me why the governor's office didn't want to talk about this, because he was personal friends with the sheriff, Yeah, which is what Jen, Jenny had told me back in 2005 or 2006 when I wrote that story. He said they knew each other, had known each other for a long time. And I think that was because Jenny had um, represented them or perhaps lobbied for them um, when they were trying to get certain stuff. I never did get to the bottom of all that. um, You have like that, you have that reporter spidey sense. Yes. The hairs on the back (laughs) of your neck stood stood up a little bit, Uh you know? Um, yeah, well, most uh, I think uh, all investigative reporter types do. Yeah, you have to something, have it, something you know? starts to the light bulbs start going off. Something's not right. Do you do you ever get disappointed? Like you're saying with the Ken Jenny, where you personally liked him. Do you ever get disappointed when you hear about something or you see something in a in a certain elected official, or do you expect it at this point? Well, I was very dis- <laughs> I was very disappointed by Ken. Yeah, you know, um, I thought that um, you know he was a guy he has had a lot to offer and something happened while he was, and it was more than just the money situation. You know, he seemed to take, you know, I mean, you get in that, you know, you get in, it's a paramilitary situation. Everybody starts saluting you and, you mm-hmm. know, all that stuff. And, you know, that can go to your head. And I, I've never discussed this with him, but I suspect that it went to his head a little bit and he got, he got a little cocky and thought that he could get away with things mm-hmm. that he couldn't get away with. You know, but there's been, I've seen lots of examples of that over the years. And um, one guy, I'll tell you about, it's interesting, it wasn't a public official, but it was a guy who ran Centrust Bank 
Jackson out of Miami. I covered his trial for the Daily Business Review, and I got a chance to meet him and all this stuff. And it was, you know, it was a this was the time when there was all the uh, the savings and loan scandal mm-hmm. back in the early late eighties, early nineties. And um, but he was charged. You know, while there were questions about that, he was charged with much more mundane type crimes, basically stealing from the bank and using it to uh, to uh, fix up his house, oh. and, you know, do stuff like that. Must be nice. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. And uh, it, it was, I you know. I remember when I took, I wasn't supposed to cover that. And the guy who was, he got called away to do something else or whatever. And I remember getting briefed about it. And he was saying, hey, this guy's a decent guy. And, you know, this, this indictment is, you know, it's, it's kind of BS and stuff. Well, I read the indictment. And the indictment was extremely straightforward. <laughs> it just said, on such and such a date, this happened, this, 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 this. And, if, you know, you add it all up, it equals the charge that's there. And I got thinking, you know, before the trial started, if this, um, uh, um, if, if this indictment is accurate and is not completely trumped up, then mm. the guy's guilty because they have to have the goods to write this, you know. Right. And indeed, that's what happened here. And I think, you know, I thought a lot about that because um, uh, the guy, uh, uh, um, oh, God, I can't remember his name. He got out of prison not too long ago. Anyway, he um, he was very he he, he he would and during the breaks in trial he'd be trying to convince me and other reporters mm. of his innocence, right? Mm. And it was just it, there was a mindset there that um, you know that that is born of arrogance, I think. That you know years of being in charge somewhere with people kissing your butt um, and um, you know not raising questions about that you need to answer you you get you you get to a point where you think you can do anything and i believe that's what happened with him again i'm not a head shrinker i'm just telling you my (laughs) impression so do you think then um that all of that maybe has something to do with why he's still so loved by members and he receives warm welcome by uh the bso still despite the crimes that he committed you mean ken jenny yeah well, it's, I mean, I don't know exactly what happened there, but I did read the reports that when uh, Scott Israel was sheriff, he sort of seemed to welcome Ken Jenny in and brought him into meetings and, you know, where he supposedly people applauded and stuff. Wow. So, you know, I, I, I don't know what happened. I would think um, anyone that would do that would be somewhat misguided and not bothered to read the records of what happened. But then again, when Ken Jen, I, I was there the day Ken Jenny got sentenced in federal court, mm. and I, you know, it was like I, it was hard to believe watching. It was like, uh, it's, you know, a couple hours worth of testimony from people, um, you know, a lot of well-known people in town, including Bob Butterworth, who was the attorney mm. general or former attorney general at the time, who was, you know, Ken Jenny's uh, um, past friend, and came in there and, and, you know, just basically saying that, that uh, you know, how great he was and no acknowledgement or discussion of how he had betrayed his public trust here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, I, I don't know. I just, I find that weird. And if people at the sheriff's office were doing it, they should go back and read the case right. file and find out what happened, you know. 
Do you, so, you know, knowing what happened then, you know, we had done a, I did a, on our podcast for the episode coming out, I do a, a past sheriff from Broward County and going to read about the sheriff's office. It almost seems cursed a little bit. Like it seems (laughs) like either we're voting for these corrupt people before we find out and they get there and we find out they're corrupt. But like, do you think there's something going on in that office? <laughs> what, do you, what is it? I mean, you discuss a little bit about these egos. We do a podcast. Like, this podcast is about, you know, politicians gone wrong. Like, what happens? And we always stare at each other going, what is going on with this person? And it is. There's a mix of ego. But that office seems so bizarre, the stories that come out of there. Well, I think it all has to do with power. Yeah. Um, the sheriff's office, I mean, with the exception of the current sheriff, who was was not elected and was appointed, mm-hmm. um, all the sheriffs are elected. They are the most powerful politicians. You know, they're, they're, Nick Navarro was a sheriff years ago. He always used to say, I'm not a politician. Well, sorry, Nick, you are a politician. Mm-hmm. When you run for office, you get elected, you're a politician. Yes. And, and but I mean, I don't look at it as a dirty word, just like I don't look at lobbyists as a dirty word. It just describes a function. But it's the power that that office holds and um, that I think is the problem. I think Ken Jenny, when he got into office, he didn't intend to be corrupt. Um, it just sort of worked out that way for him. I mean, Nick Navarro, he had problems too. Uh, and um, that I wrote about years ago, but Nick was, uh, I mean, Nick was an extremely likable guy, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, um, you know, Butterworth, he was the sheriff for a while. And he's very, he still remains very popular in town. Al Lamberti, he was the sheriff after Ken Jenny. And uh, he got reelected at one point, and then he was out. And then Israel gets in. And, you know, so, I, you know, I don't look at it as the position's curse. I look at it as it depends on the character of the people that get in there. Yeah, it's the human, you know, the human they, part. Yeah. yeah, it's always the human part. Yeah. Can they withstand not merely the pressures of the job but the temptations of the job yes so you know perfect yes, yes exactly right that's why i think we we find all these stories not humorous but they're just it's, compelling it's almost predictable almost because yeah. they are human why are we expecting a human being just because they're elected to be better than a, you know resisting a temptation that uh, someone who's not elected right like it doesn't make any yeah. sense um, right. Well, it, I mean, it, in in all of the counties of Florida, except for Dade, I think, um, the sheriffs are elected and they're all very powerful figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it makes you wonder, should the sheriff be in appointed position? Mm. You know, um, I don't know what the answer to that is. Those are from, that's for minds greater than mine. But yeah. <laughs> it does raise questions or, or how do you how do you in, make it in such a way where the individual won't sort of be taken over by his office, shall we say. That's sort of a strange way to phrase that, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. So um, outside this story, is there any other case of political corruption or just another favorite case of your career that stands out that you'd like to share? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've written about, you know, over the years, uh, when I started out, I was, uh, uh, I've written about the Kennedy assassination. I've written about 9-11. Um, I've written about, I wrote the first stories with a few other reporters at the Miami News about Jamaican gangs years ago. Um, I've written about, you know, when I worked for the Fort Lauderdale News, that was the time of uh, the cocaine cowboys. And I mean, mm. 
every day you were getting a couple of bodies turning up, wow. you know, and oh, it was quite amazing. I mean, there were, I remember we used to keep track of them in either 81, 82, 83, whenever it was. There were like five or 600 here. It's just in Broward County alone. Murdered. Wow. And, you know, I mean, those in New York City now doesn't even have those kind of numbers. So um, it was it was the wild, wild west. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I've written about every, I've written about all sorts of politicians, just as every reporter has judges um, and um, and police. Um, there was one story that I remember um, pretty well. It had to do with Miami um, back in the 1990s. Um, the um, and, and, and 80s, uh, the Miami Police Department in particular had a very bad reputation and, um, you know, for police brutality, misconduct, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I did a story when I worked for the Daily Business Review, and I still remember the headline. It was called Blood Money. And it was basically how the city had paid, up, paid out like 17, 18, 19 million, something like that, um, over the last decade um, wow. to to sort of resolve like in excess of a hundred um, lawsuits, both federal and state, uh, you know, alleging, you know, misconduct or uh, police brutality. And it was, yeah, it was an enormous figure. And, um, but we've had the same things up here. One of the saddest cases up here was the case of a guy named Jerry Frank Townsend, um, who back in the, in, in, uh, in, in the uh, early 2000s, was uh, let out of prison. He was one of the first stories I wrote about down here when I came to the old Fort Lauderdale News because there had been a series of rapes and murders uh, in the African-American community of Fort, northwest Fort Lauderdale, uh, in the un- mostly in the unincorporated area, but some in the incorporated area. Um, and what we found out later was poor Jerry Frank Townsend had all these cases pinned on him by oh. corrupt police officers. As a matter of fact, if you go on Florida Bulldog and you go back to the very first story that I wrote for it, it was about Jerry Frank Townsend and this atrocious miscarriage of justice. The guy who had a, you know, it was a false confession thing. Oh. The guy had low IQ, oh, um, no. trying to please people. And he, they get him to confess to, to, to these various crimes. And he goes away to prison. And this happened to another guy, too, but I'm more familiar with Jerry's case. Finally, DNA shows that he didn't do it. Oh. So the story that I wrote so a couple of years later for the Bulldog was, okay, um, we now know that he didn't do this. Well, when you go back and you look at the trial record, you can see how he was framed and who framed him. And is the state attorney's office, meaning Mike Satz, going to do anything about whoa, it? Whoa, whoa, wow. And no, they didn't do anything about it. Now Satz is about to go out of office. And he has certain, he has recently taken uh, uh, what I consider to be a pretty good step um, in general on this. He created a, uh, a unit in his office that will look at when there's allegations of somebody being wrongly convicted, that they will review the case and, you know, and I believe they just identified uh, a case where they uh, let somebody out of prison because they did a review and they found there was a problem. Mm-hmm. But what I was trying to point out was there are officers, ex-officers out there who can be clearly shown from looking at the trial testimony in this case um, that they framed 
this poor uh-huh. guy, and he spent 20 years or whatever it was in prison. And the only reason he got out was because DNA came along and Mm -hmm. proved he didn't do it. And it's like, you know, why aren't we doing something about that? Mm -hmm. Right. So so if anybody wants to read it, they go to floridabulldog.org and go back to the very first story, which would have been in October 2009. That's when when I started. Well, that's amazing. We love your work so much. And I... I'm so excited that you're doing it and I hope you continue doing it for a long, long time because we need it. You know, this is a day and age where I feel like, you know, you hear news about elected officials or like miscarriages of justice, what you're just talking about. And we need the free press, you know, and, um, and, uh, we need it to people to believe in it. Yes. (laughs) Nowadays, you know, that it's it's a real thing. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Well, Hey, tell people to go on and, uh, we're on Facebook. Um, you know, under Florida Bulldog and, um, you know, go on and like us if they like us. And, um, yes. And donate to Florida Bulldog too, if you can. If, Hey, if people can help us, um, they can do it on the site. There's a a donate button, you know, you can do it, uh, with a credit card and, uh, or you can send a check to our post office box, which is also listed on the site. And, um, and let me just say in advance, thank you to anybody that does, but, uh, I will tell you that, you guys, um, meaning the general community here, you're the reason that we're doing this, and we do, you know, we do need your support. So whatever you can do, thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. It was so nice to meet you, and uh, maybe one day we'll meet in person whenever COVID is over. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. I hope so, and uh, good luck with the show. I think it's uh, it's really interesting, and now that I'm aware of it. I'll start checking you guys out too. Oh, thank you. Um, I curse a little bit on the show. I'm just going to give you a warning. <laughs> um, well, well, maybe I won't then because I, you know, I don't know if I can stand to hear something. Like that, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day. All thank right. you. Hey, Tina and Hillary, take care. All right, thank you. If you want to learn more about this week's guest, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.